Fan Morning Show. Brenton Daniele here with you. Very, very pleased to bring in our first guest of the day, Show Alley. You hear him all the time on Jay's Talk and on the Blue Jays broadcast show. Thanks so much for getting up. How are you doing this morning, man? Good, yeah. First guest. Wow. Position of honor this morning. Well, it's not hockey season, <laughs> so Stellick hasn't come on at 6.30 yet. You know how this yeah. works. Or uh, Kipper. Or Kipper. That's yeah. right. I, do you get That's Kipper true. up at 6.30? Oh, Kipper's up at 7. He's oh, okay. he's a gem. He's okay. a gem. All right. Good for you getting Kipper up. I would not be poking the bear uh, in that way. You show? I have no problem bothering <laughs> at 7 in the morning. Nick Kiprios, uh, it's a very, very uh, different, different story. Um, not that I don't respect you. I'm just, quite frankly, less afraid of you, uh, if we're, we're going to be honest there. I think I could take you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we won't dive too much into that. That that ship is sailed. I think that... you could take Kipper. I think you could. Oh no, <laughs> no. Kipper could take me to the grave. Uh, that's the only place anybody's taken anyone in the, in that one. Uh, in terms of this weekend, we were talking about it, right? On the surface, great weekend for the Jays. You go two and one. You get shit back. You hit five bombs yesterday, and you lose ground and everywhere in the wild card race or don't make it up on the raise. Just uh, it is such a tough sled that this team finds itself in. They have such a great weekend. And honestly, like very few things you can poke holes at from the weekend. And it's just not enough to make up any ground in the, uh, the division or the wild card race. It is kind of funny to think that, you know, you look back at the, especially after the results on Saturday and Sunday, and you look back at the result on Friday and feel a little more disappointed because a one nothing loss, you kind of feel like, okay, well, if had they deployed a lineup that was better in maybe even just one or two facets, maybe they would have won every single game of a series on the road, which is just so incredibly difficult to do. Even Even winning two of three on the road is still really difficult to do, but you're right. The Mariners staying just red hot, white hot over the over the weekend with Julio Rodriguez doing some absurd things. I, I will say I think the the uh, silver lining from the weekend perhaps is that even though they didn't make up ground, you're right that they are still currently out of a playoff position on a day off. The Mariners sweeping the Astros in Houston for the first time since like 2018 or 2019 is actually pretty funny because it now actually means the Blue Jays are a game back of the second wildcard spot and a half game back of the third wildcard spot. So the way the Mariners are playing and frankly the way the Astros have been playing, it, it's kind of funny to think that the Astros might end up being the team the Blue Jays catch and they already have the tiebreaker with Houston. So I kind of wonder if the Astros might not be the team to miss the playoffs instead of the Mariners. Uh, that's, I mean, that's an interesting point, show. Because I mean, I got, I got to be honest. I didn't really think about that too much. Because I kind of put the Astros in a bit of a different tier compared to what we're talking about with the Blue Jays and and the Mariners. But to your point, the fact that they're right on, they're right there. They're nipping at the heels. I, I would say that's probably the biggest positive. And it's, I think it's easy to gloss over the weekend and think about, well, Seattle is doing what they're doing, and then Baltimore, who's next on the schedule, is doing what they're doing. Tampa's still rolling, so there's a lot of, in, like, you know, a lot of positives for them it just you know it makes the weekend feel a little incomplete when you're thinking well you had a one nothing loss and it could have been a lot different if you won that ball game and you would have had a sweep it would look a lot better um one of the guys that i think was a major positive certainly to have back in there Bo Bichette, comes in right away makes an impact saturday sunday hits the homer yesterday looks good i i made this point earlier in the show i think Bo is by far and has already sort of uh, asserted himself as the most important player on this jays team would you agree with that assessment, Joe? 
Yeah, I, I think we're probably there at this point. That that doesn't mean there's still not enough runway for Vladdy to 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 reassert himself eventually, perhaps. But I do think, based on everything we have seen, because Bo, if you guys remember, I mean, last year Bo was really struggling until about this point in the season. Like it was like late August when Bo really started to put things together. He had been demoted all the way down. It felt like to the bottom half of the roster when it was coming to the batting order uh, because he was really scuffling. And then he became like a literal man on fire for the entire rest of the season last year. And then he kind of just picked up where he left off this year. And yeah, there was some uh, some slight slumps as any player might go through in, in the, over the course of a full 162-game MLB season. But this season, so far, Bo Bichette has been absolutely phenomenal. And for a guy who missed, what, like two and a half weeks uh, with an injury that we all thought would probably be a, a whole hell of a lot worse, he is. I thought he looked pretty good. He, he did go one for five in the Saturday game, but he came back and he looked pretty confident right away. I think in his first AB, he just by, by feet missed lacing a double down the right field line. And then yesterday, he, uh, he, he contributes as well, certainly with the solo home run and a stand-up triple in the first AB of the game as well. So it's true. Bo is so important offensively and I think to me the other thing I was looking for with Bo was to see what he would look like defensively as well because you know you injure your knee as a starting shortstop it robs you maybe of some mobility and he did have maybe a couple of uh, snafus gaffes maybe on, on the Saturday game especially on that play that maybe could have been a double play but I don't know by and large Bo, over the course of the entire season, has been an above-average shortstop defensively. He has still been an above-average shortstop defensively, even coming back from the injury in a relatively small, short, two-game sample size. And uh, he he proved why he is that important. I got to say, like, they, they actually – I know the home run was uh, obviously very important in a, in, a, in a game where they clubbed five, but the stand-up triple – off of Hunter Green, after everyone was talking about, oh, the the 100-mile-an-hour heat, it's going to be so hard for these Jays to catch up to. And he laid off a whole bunch of fastballs, and just like he did last year in Toronto where he faced Hunter Green and hit a home run off the slider, he crushes at the stand-up triple basically right away. I thought that was very impressive. No, that was definitely impressive. And we bemoan Bo's defense a lot, Joe. Like, people make a big deal of that, and for good reason. It was a, It was definitely a bugaboo. But I can tell you, for the two-and-a-half-week period that he was out, you know, Paul DeYoung was there, did an admirable job when Espinal had his opportunities there. Uh, there were plays that those guys didn't make that I thought, you know what, Boba Shett, weirdly enough, had an opportunity to make that play. And there were a few of them where I'm even looking and saying the timing of the throws. And, like, I just, I think we, to some extent, we kind of underappreciate or underrate even his defense at times because he's not hes not a great defender by any stretch. But you know what? That was something I picked up on in that two-and-a-half-week stretch thinking we focus so much on that position. We focus on the defense and how much of an issue it's been for him historically. And yet, watching those two guys try to do that on a daily basis, it actually made me think, you know what, maybe we should even appreciate the fact that he's grown so much as a defender because there were plays that those guys were not making that I really had confidence Bo could make. Well, and hold on, Joe. Let me jump in with my yeah. my opinion uh, before you answer. I think the other part of it as well is just that given, and again, I'm sure we'll talk about Vladdy in a second here, but given all of the questions swirling around the other like tentpole pieces of this franchise for me anyways like I don't know that I'm as bullish on his defense or maybe bullish is too strong a word but I don't know that I'm as kind about his defense as you two are but I even just look at it and say 
I, I can't deal with that right now. It's like the house is on fire. I can't worry about the how I paint the stairs right now. And that's kind of what Bo's defense is to me. It's like there are just other questions about the core of this team that even someone like me who has questions about the defense still, like I'm looking at his outs above average, which I know is just one way to skin it. And, you know, baseball savant has him at the 32nd best shortstop in baseball. It's not great, but I, I just look at it and say, give him what he gives you everywhere else. I'm going to stop complaining about that because that's not the problem right now. Go ahead, show. Yeah, and I think that's that's where I land on a two-gunner because Danelli is right in that Bo's defense will probably at no point in his career be elite, right? Like, he'll probably never be as a def- as good a defensive shortstop as, let's say, a Xander Bogarts or a Carlos Correa or a Trey Turner, who all have their warts offensively, but who are still all, obviously all, all good players overall as well. But to, to your point, Gunner, if you're talking about other things on the team – being larger issues, Bo's defense at shortstop is like pretty far down the list this season, right? Because I think we've we've all talked about before the idea that Bo is such a talented player in every facet, certainly, but definitely offensively, that whatever you kind of got from him defensively was going to be the uh, like it was kind of just going to be the the cherry on top, a bit of a bonus because even if he was an, a below average shortstop defensively, which is kind of what I felt he was coming into the season, or even if he could just be just a relatively average shortstop defensively, it kind of felt like that would be a bit of a win. And this season, he has been, I think, well above average defensively. Like, yes, there have been a couple of snafus here and there, but no no more than any of the other defensive-minded shortstops, no more than the plays those guys have made. So it's true. Like, it, it might never be something you hang your hat on, but uh, right now it's not something that I worry too much about. It is kind of funny, though, just on real quick on the on the other side of what Daniele was saying about uh, when he was out and you got to see the plays made at short from guys like Santiago Espinal or Paul DeYoung. Paul DeYoung getting DFA'd over the weekend for the return of Bo Bichette might be one of the boldest moves this team has made in a while. I was just thinking about this yesterday when, when I saw the, or on Saturday when I saw the news. Uh, I was thinking about like other Blue Jays that were acquired and had a very short tenure because like you have guys like Bradley Zimmer, for example. Even Bradley Zimmer stuck around on this roster for longer than Paul DeYoung did. I, I don't know if uh, Paul DeYoung's tenure is or is not longer than like Brad Hand's Blue Jays tenure, but boy, it's I gotta say that they DFA'd him in order to continue to have both Santiago Espinal and David Schneider on the roster ahead of the expansion and playoff deadline of August thirty first for the forty man. I gotta say that definitely shows certainly it makes you feel good about Bo coming back because it means they feel like they didn't need to keep a defensive minded glove like Paul DeYoung around even with the offensive deficiencies he was clearly struggling with but boy that definitely shows some faith I would think in both Espinal and Schneider which is kind of fun to see Brad Hand made 11 appearances for the Jays. <laughs> that feels so many more than it, it than it was. Like, if you would have told me the over-under was, like, five and a half, I would have been like, I might take the under. I honestly, don't know. If, if you had said 10 was the, like, 10 and a half, yeah. I would have taken the under, honestly. Easily, I would have taken it there, yeah. I'm, I'm shocked that he had that many appearances, quite frankly. It just goes to show how uh, how dire things got. Uh, bullpen, far from dire these days. And, uh, these days. I know Hicks got touched up at the very, very beginning there but of uh, the series. But you see Romano, he comes in and you know, he just continues to look the way you want your closer to look. This is going to be a conversation, I think, all season long. But where are we at on the kind of pecking order of the late innings of things for the Jays? I, I think there is a real 
talent to being comfortable in those moments. And I think Romano has it, even if he doesn't have the talent that Hicks has in terms of just raw stuff and velo. Where are you at on the way the Jays are kind of handling the the end of these games? Yeah, the bullpens looked phenomenal, especially in the in the late end, late innings in terms of who they can deploy. Of course, Jordan Hicks, you mentioned him. He looked phenomenal the last time out. Of course, he wasn't available yesterday because he had pitched two days in a row. But on the, in the Saturday game, he comes in. He throws 14 pitches, 14 of them like 100-mile-an-hour sinkers. That's just nasty. It kind of felt like... The uh, Saturday appearance from Hicks on the mound was almost like a direct response to him using a sweeper and getting walked off by a rookie in the in the Friday game on the road. So it kind of felt like he, he just came out and said, look, anyone who wants to try and touch any one of these 103-mile-an-hour fastballs, you are more than welcome to do so if you can, and no one could. It was pretty remarkable that the, the entire heart of of the Cincinnati order saw Hicks and that Saturday game. I think it was, I think in order it was Matt McLean, Ellie De La Cruz and Spencer Steer. And they're the three most dangerous bats on the Reds team. And they, none of them could do a single thing against his fastballs. It was pretty impressive to see. So you kind of hope you see that more often. And uh, I think one of the, the nice side effects of Jordan Hicks being on this team is that he is also, because he's being used in leverage more and more often, especially now that he's being worked into the team and the the circle of trust a little bit more, one of the cool side effects of that is not only that you can still keep Jordan Romano for the ninth inning, but it has also had the, the pleasant side effect of keeping Eric Swanson far fresher. Because Eric Swanson, I know you guys have talked about this before, the three of us have talked about this before ourselves, just the idea that Swanson had been used in the first half of the season, he w- he looked great, and then after he'd been fatigued a little bit, he he just started to look a little burnt out. He was on pace to just blow away his uh, his 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 career high in uh, appearances for uh, relief pitching in his entire career. So to see him not have to be trotted out there every day or every other day, and now you can go to Hicks or you can go to Cabrera. Jimmy Garcia has been far more reliable as of late. Trevor Richards has returned. You still haven't even added Chad Green back to the roster yet. So there are so many other pieces you can go to before you have to go to a Swanson, before you have to go to a Romano. And it just gives John Schneider a lot more options because before it kind of felt like he had no option but to go to Eric Swanson if you've already used Jordan Romano like two of three days, for example, or even if you already use Romano for three of three days, you still might have to go to him for an out or two. So the bullpen is just in much better shape these days, and Jordan Hicks is a big part of that. It definitely helps when you can protect some of those arms in your bullpen and you see the benefits of it because to to your point, Joe, as you referenced, it, it just helps when you don't have to tax these guys too much. And it, it accumulates over the course of a season. And now John Schneider finally has, you know, he's got he's got his pick of the litter back there, which is wonderful. And he's got no-brainer options, which is something that I don't think for, man, I can't even remember. It's maybe, it's been a while since they've had that sort of alignment where you can say, okay, in this situation, it dictates this decision, this situation dictates X, Y, Z decision. It just makes sense. It makes things a lot easier. And the bullpen, it, the stats are reflect, reflective of it. Fourth lowest ERA in baseball, tied for the lowest whip in baseball. This bullpen has been remarkable. And as you know, on balance as a whole, I, I'm wondering, like, this is the best bullpen we've seen since what? Like, what, what can we even compare this bullpen to? Because they've truly been, in a lot of ways, just the pitching as a whole has been the linchpin, but the bullpen has also been incredibly good and incredibly consistent all season long. 
It's true. I mean, I, I, I've said this before a couple times, but I sometimes struggle to think of the last time, like, every guy in the bullpen. And I, I feel like you can honestly even include, I know Jay Jackson was optioned, and that Bowden Francis might very well be the guy to be optioned when Chad Green returns. But like, if, if I count both Jay Jackson and Bowden Francis, who have both been, I would say on the whole, more than just reliable. They've been very good, I think. Pretty cool also as a complete aside to see Bowden Francis cash his first major league save with getting the three innings to end the game yesterday. But you look at including those guys, you look at the entire bullpen, I struggled to think of the last time a bullpen on the team was this good with every single guy in the, ro- in the not rotation, but every single guy in the actual pen being included. Like, certainly there have been points in the Blue Jays' history in the last 20 years where guys like uh, Casey Jansen or certainly Roberto Osuna, that ended for the the right reasons, obviously, when his association with the team came to a close. But just like they, ha- they always have had one or two good pieces and were used and deployed in the correct fashions. But the, I'm, not, I'm actually like not sure the last time – I think and this might be hyperbole, but maybe going back to like the Henke and Ward days when the team was winning World Series and so on and going to the playoffs very consistently, I feel like you kind of have to go back to that era to think of a bullpen that was this good from the first guy all the way to the closer. Yeah, it's remarkable. And I'm I'm happy you mentioned Bowden France's name because he's been he's been the thing that this team's kind of been lacking. They've used him in a different way, but that is what your sixth starter looks like. That's it right there. Like we all talk about like, oh, is there not some that's it. If if somebody and I, again, like there's no wiggle room now, and especially with everything happening with Manoa, but that's what it's supposed to look like. Like everybody thinks that teams are supposed to have like five, six, seven guys just waiting in the woodwork. No, there's supposed to be one or two. You just need them to be a about him Francis uh, type, you know, in, in terms of this rotation, what they've gotten from it, the pitching staff, it's been, it's been remarkable, quite honestly, with the exception of, of Alec Manoa. And I include Hyunjin Ryu in that. I mean, he comes back. I was very curious to see what we were going to get out of him. Obviously the layoff having just two starts under his belt, getting hit on the knee his last time out. Uh, you have to love what you saw from him. And I think that it just frees the team up to now kind of just put Manoa aside for, for the rest of the year. I don't think they have to continue to kind of go back to the well of, eh, maybe we can glean a little something out of him here. It just feels like it frees them up to do whatever they feel is best for, for Manoa and whether that means long-term or in the, the nearest future. Yeah, it's kind of wild to think that after the roller coaster season gunner for Manoa, and then he gets sent down, gets called back up, gets sent down again. And after he had gotten called back up the first time, I think a lot of people viewed Manoa kind of as that quote-unquote fifth starter, even though obviously before the season, a lot of people might have viewed him as, in terms of if you're numbering guys in the starting rotation, at worst you were looking at Manoa as the number two starter, and I think a lot of people were viewing him as the number one starter, even ahead of someone like Kevin Gosman. And of course, after he got called back up and was demoted and all that stuff, you're viewing him as the fifth starter. And by comparison's sake, if you're viewing Hyunjin Ryu as the fifth starter right now, you will gladly take those kinds of results you got yesterday from Hyunjin Ryu. And I know some people were texting into JSTOC calling in saying, hey, maybe we should maybe we should not have pulled Hyunjin Ryu after 83 pitches. But I mean, five innings pitched. The guy had eight strikeouts, two runs, neither of which were earned. I think there was a walk in there as well. 
over those five innings. I don't know. Ultimately, with Ryu, this is a guy who is just coming off of Tommy John surgery, and for him to be this good that soon after returning from Tommy John, like one of the things when guys return off of Tommy John surgery, I feel like the velo is usually the first thing to return off of Tommy John, and the precision on the braking and off-speed stuff is usually one of the latter things to return when you're coming back from such a major surgery on your throwing arm. Maybe a part of it has to do with the fact that Ryu, even before the surgery, was never throwing that hard to begin with. But boy, he was doing whatever he wanted out there. Like he certainly throws, he still he still throws the fastball a lot. He threw it like forty five percent of the time yesterday. But he used the curveball to devastating effect. Like maybe a part of it is because a lot of these batters are so young. But he was still fooling some of the more experienced batters, like a Joey Votto like a, a Luke Maley, old pal Luke Maley. So it was kind of funny to see Hyunjin Ryu go out there and just dominate. I think now, beyond the first inning he had against the Orioles at the Rogers Center on the trade deadline day, after that first inning where they kind of ambushed him, the rest of that game and every other start he has had since then, including the game where he took the ball off the knee against Cleveland, he has been phenomenal. Like, if you're getting five innings and, like, two earned runs or less from your five-starter... You're taking that without question every single time out, and you're actually getting better results than that from Ryu lately. So I, I, I find it hard to complain about anything he's done because he's been great. Couldn't agree more because and, – and we have to also frame it in the context of what you were getting from Alec Manoa previously, which was you almost didn't know what you were possibly going to get every right. fifth day from him or sixth day. So the fact that you have a guy now who is – consistently giving you a five and dive, or as I meant, said it to Gunner and put it to Gunner earlier, which was – uh, you need you want somebody who's going to keep you in the game. Oh, I thought you were going to do a cool That's rhyme. It. I thought you were going to go like no. four in the floor. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, just as long as you get a guy three and go hit the tee. Like I can, I can keep going. You, like, could, you, you go, could go hit. Yeah, the go tea. play that's, golf. I, I like you, that. I'm gonna do three hours one. and go hit the oh, tee here. A, yeah, that's, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I think ultimately that's what you ask for from your fifth starter or de facto fifth starter, which is keep you in the game, give you some innings, keep you in the ball game and be consistently available to do it, whether it's four or five and not tax the bullpen. And that was something they struggled with, with Alec Manoa this year. And they finally found somebody who, even if it's a guy coming off Tommy John at age 36 is, has been doing it and has been serviceable at it. Uh, in terms of the rest of the rotation show, I wanted to, I want this is, I feel like is going to become a running theme here over the next like month or so. And it probably has been already for a few weeks, but you have your circle of trust with the bullpen, the rotation. I need you to identify for me the three guys. Who are the three guys that if they get into a three-game series, if they're in a wild-card matchup, who are the three guys that you're trotting out there? And give me the order. I think the order is important here. This is what I'm curious about. Who's the odd man out here? You know, I think for me, in a, in a wild-card series, it might be crazy to say this, but I think in order... I would I would still go Gosman number one because I think that allows you to put your best foot forward vis-a-vis the bullpen. You can go immediately to your highest leverage guys. I know there have been a couple of blow-up spots for Gosman recently, but I mean the guy is still a Cy Young front runner, if not the front runner. But I mean all the front runners in the American League this year have gotten blown up at one point or another, including Garrett Cole, who just got blown up this past weekend. So I, I don't know. I think Gosman is still the guy. He's no good. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Garrett Cole has been blown up by the Red Sox more than like any other pitcher. I have no idea why that is the case, but he gets annihilated by Boston every time. I don't know. 
Yeah, it's, it's wild. Honestly, They it's are wild. banging a trash can. The one named Garrett Cole every time he steps on that mound. Okay, sorry. Go ahead, show. Well, Gosman is uh, is just as good a front runner or just in the next tier below Cole, I would say. So Gosman is the guy I would start a three-game wildcard series for sure. I don't think that's a particularly hot take. And you know what? I think he has honestly earned it for game number two. But Yusei Kikuchi feels like he's going to be my pick for number two for a game a wildcard series. Just a smidge ahead of Jose Barrios. So I think if I had to go number three in order, it would be Gosman, Kikuchi, Barrios. And I think Bassett would be the guy who gets left out or, or maybe paired as a long man after any one of Kikuchi or perhaps Barrios in a winner-take-all game three. And honestly, if you're making a wild-card roster, especially for a three-game series in which they will likely not pitch at all, it's very possible that despite all the good things I just said about Hyunjin Ryu, and uh, unfortunately, all the other stuff that's happened to Alec Manoa, that neither of them would be in a wild card roster. It would, maybe things would change if you get into the ALDS, but for a wild card roster where only you need three starters, maybe four if you're going with a long guy, then it's possible you don't need either of them. Show people must love you. You're full board the Yusei Kikuchi train, and, and you know what? I've been—I mean, I—I've been saying it since April. You sigh. I'm on the—I'm on the Cooch bandwagon. I love it, but. But that being, I mean, that that to me still seems a little bit bold. And you know what? People have been accusing me of being negative. So there you go. You win the 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 negativity positivity what would you do? battle. What, what would you do? Well, okay. So so I agree. I think Gosman has done enough to certainly merit and warrant the the opening. You know, the the first start in a three game series. He's 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 earned it, and clearly has the body work is there. I'd go Barrios number two. And I do think, to be honest, I think Barrios has been almost the, and it's weird to say this because he's getting paid a ton of money, but in a lot of ways, the unsung hero because he almost next to Yusei Kikuchi had the biggest question mark. But I feel like Kikuchi it was not necessarily going to be a fixture in the rotation. You, they could have worked around that as needed. Barrios, not so much. He was here and he's here to stay. Like this is, you needed him to become what he is. And to be consistent, and he's been that. And I think there's something to be said about the consistency that he brings and also the life that we've seen on his stuff all year long. He's looked tremendous to me. I think he's a guy that deserves number two. And then I'd go Kikuchi number three. I think he's vaulted into that realm. It's not, And it's no indictment against Chris Bassett either because he's been very good. But it's just that I think that would be my three. I would just change up the two and three order. Gunner, are you in the same? Where are you? Where do you land on it? No, I like I like Kikuchi in game two if you win game one. I like Barrios in game two if you lose game one. I, I like yes. Barrios in my higher put, leverage uh, spot is the way I kind of look at it. As much as I'm I'm okay with Kikuchi, and it would be obviously a high leverage spot in game three, I just feel a little better about Barrios. So I start Gosman, and then I let the result of that game dictate it. And I know that people in the past have said, ah, Ah, that's idiotic. Who do you like best? Put them out there regardless. I can hear that, but that's the way I would do it. Show, uh, it's your only off day this week, and we're we're bugging you, so <laughs> go away. Uh, go enjoy your life or sleep, one of the two. Oh, yeah, uh, right, right back to bed. Blissful sleep for this guy. <laughs> I, I don't know how. <laughs> Thanks, Good for you. Go enjoy it. Uh, show Ali, always love him. Uh, love him coming on here. Love him on Jay's talk uh, and on the Jay's broadcast there. I never know how people do it. You, like, oh, I say you bug me. I bug you, actually, to come on the show. <laughs> And I could never go back to sleep after after doing like a pod appearance or something, like a hot 20 minutes on the oh, lease, yeah, and then I'm just going to shut her down. Not a chance. You're up. You got the juices I don't flowing, how, the adrenaline. Like, I don't know I how don't. he's going to do that. That is like yeah, borderline psychotic to me. He won't be the first. I've seen a lot of I know. I've heard I, I, a lot I, I of people doing, <laughs> doing this job in particular. Yes. Yes. It is now time for Something to Chew On, brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. 
Mm, yum, 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 yum. There it is. Sorry. I, didn't, I don't push the button. Don't uh, don't yell at me. Uh, throwing this one yum, at yum, you. Yum, yum, yum. There it is. Hey. That's better for the people. <laughs> Patriots and Packers game suspended after player had to be yeah, carted Isaiah off the field. Isaiah Bolden. Yeah. Yep. Right, right, right call. I feel like we're all oh, good yeah, on this. It's a preseason game. Uh, probably would have been the right call in like a real game too. Uh, so yeah, definitely the right call in the preseason. Uh, NFL. They're growing up before our eyes. Look at them making really easy decisions that we're all going to applaud them on the back for Bill Belichick was the guy who did it. Uh, shocker NFL little PR win. Uh, and Hey, as we said sooner than ever uh, until next time we talk and then it'll be sooner. It's just so close. The seventh we get started with oh, the, so the, ju- I know the, you're uh, the you're, chiefs uh, and lions. I know you were, we were having this conversation a little bit with that matchup, but I mean, it's football. So for me, it's a little different because as the hardo football hardo here, I I don't care what it is. It could be I don't know. I'm just trying to think. It could be the 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 Bears and and the the Rams or whoever. I I'll watch it. I don't care. Um, but I do agree. I, you made a few salient points. Give me a I will sexy say. AFC yeah, team in there. Well, you were like the Chargers. I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot. To the be Ravens. honest, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the, the Ravens. even the Ravens like. No, there's there's definitely some sexier matchups out there. Yeah. There's no doubt. Or or just give America what they want. Send the Patriots in there and just have them get the no. wheels beat off them. Like I don't want that. <laughs> I want my Patriots to start with a win. But for everybody else out there, it's sad. Bill Belichick, or he doesn't get sad. Just get grumbling. And and before we go to break, the yeah. last point uh, on in in regards to that Isaiah Bolden story. Oh yes. The the guy who made painted Bill Belichick to be a saint yes. was Matthew Slater, who's played for him for 16 <laughs> who years. Is, who, who, all the jokes you guys have about Kevin Biggio and John Schneider, oh, you don't even want to know, know with Matthew Slater yeah. and Bill Belichick. This guy only <laughs> plays special teams. I've been a captain in New England throughout the entirety of the Brady run, okay? so oh, yeah. You know Bill loves his special teamers. These guys that... Nobody, it's like Gunnar Olszewski. Why was he uh, on the roster for five years? I don't know. Because he can return name. kicks. Never, I think he might have had one return <laughs> touchdown his whole time there. But he can return kicks, apparently. Same thing with Matthew Slater. Yeah. And he painted a portrait portrait of this guy that made Bill look like hey. he was... A saint. He, know, he knows where he gets fed. He knows oh, how. Yes. Belichick's boy. Definitely. <laughs> Through and through. Uh, love it there. Love you bringing that up as well. Uh, we're going to give you guys winners and losers from the weekend. Also, Buck Martina is going to join us after 8 at 8.30. Ben Solak going to join us. Tee up a busy NFL season coming up. But we'll give you winners and losers from a really loaded weekend this past weekend. Fan Morning Show continues coming up next on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I have a no snare in my headphone situation. Only one ear is coming through right oh, now for me. Okay. Yeah, just uh, anytime you could say that as a guy born and bred on Eminem in the uh, in the late nineties, <laughs> early two thousands, had to had to get a no snare in my headphone. <laughs> so I hear a bit of it. Uh, Daniele Brent here with you, fan morning show. You're here with me again all week long. Really, yep. really the brains behind the program. But on the mic uh, till Wednesday, and then McKee takes over Thursday, Friday. That's correct. Okay, I just want to get that my is the plan. In a row. Okay. Yes, that is the plan. What time do I have to get here if I want that chair tomorrow? Oh, oh, oh. I can't have it. Is is what it sounds no, like. No, we can we can make that switch. No, That's we fine. can't. No, yes, no. I just I want to. No, I don't want to. I don't want you to. Like, I don't want you to give it to me. I want to get here and take it. No, from you. we'll we'll make the switch. No, That's fine. I can't. No, I can't do that. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll discuss that off air. Uh, first loser. I'll I'll start. As I said to start the show, me, because I didn't get the chair I wanted in the studio. <laughs> uh, actual first first loser, Paul DeYoung. Sorry, bud. Yep. See ya. 
Wouldn't want to be you. Well, actually, got to be honest, still would. Probably pretty sick life, but uh, tough go of it right now. Kudos to the front office. Unkudos to Paul DeYoung. Loser. DFA. Three, four, three for 44. Three for 44. He doesn't. He didn't even have a, a batting average of 100. It's tough. That's, when, that is tough. When the Mendoza line is like Two. triple what yeah. you are. Yeah. That's, oh, my goodness. <laughs> that is rough. It's not what you want. Uh, loser. The UFC. Mm. Sugar Sean O'Malley. Oh, I saw this guy. Sugar Sean, who has all the... You know, he's got all the we talk tools. Yeah. This guy looks like a star you would want for any any wrestling. He or, also looks like or, a character out of Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, I could hear kind that of as weirdly, well. yeah. yeah. But this is this guy, the hair, the the just everything about him oozes star in the world of combat sports. Mm-hmm. And he beats Aljamain Sterling to win the Bantamweight title on Saturday. Yep. Knocks him out. Great knockout, star-making moment, no doubt about it. Here's where I have a lot of problems with this, and this is why it's a loser for me. Okay. Okay? This is only his second fight against the top 15-ranked bantamweight. Hmm. Okay? He gets the title fight. The man he beat to get to this point, to earn this shot, was a guy by the name of Piotr Jan. Okay? Okay. Piotr Jan, good fighter, almost beat, and quite frankly, probably was beating Aljamain Sterling back Mm -hmm. a few years ago. And he had a knee where he got disqualified in the middle of a fight. That's how Aljo ends up with the title. Okay. O'Malley beats Jan. Jan's gone on this losing streak. He's now kind of on the back burner. That's the only win he's ever had against the top 15 Hmm. bantamweight before this fight. The UFC so desperately wanted Sean O'Malley to win this title. Hmm. They so desperately. They they almost. This is the closest thing you could get to a WWE script. Which is, we want that belt on that yeah. guy, and we're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. And and to go make matters worse, uh, there's two other things I wanted to mention yeah, on this give point. give it to me. One was, Aljamain Sterling last fought in May. Mm-hmm. Okay? He last fought in May. He beat Henry Cejudo. He said, you know what? I, I, I don't mind fighting Sean O'Malley. I'll fight him. Yeah. I don't care. But I want to do it in September. The UFC said, no, no, no. You're going to do it August. in August. Yeesh. And on top of that, they said, no, no. If you don't want to fight in August, we're going to strip you of the belt. We're going to take that belt away. We're going to make this fight, whoever Sean O'Malley fights, going to be for the interim bantamweight championship. They wanted it so desperately. And the final point on this yeah. is guess what happens? Guess, guess, guess how the UFC treats this guy who was just a champ and I think had like three or four successful title defenses. Normally, when there's a knockout on a pay-per-view card or any type of big finish, the UFC and any of their associated Twitter mm-hmm. account, social accounts never tweet out the finish okay. because it's on pay-per-view, yeah, yeah. right? This thing, they tweeted it out right away. Really? They tweeted out the knockout instantly. And Dana White, of even his, yeah, yeah. whoever manages yeah, yeah, his socials, yeah, yeah. that that visual, that video, 20-second, 30-second mm-hmm. clip of Sean O'Malley finishing Aljamain Sterling was on his Twitter feed. Nuts. Absolutely insane. I, I just, I hate it. It reeks of, it reeks of privilege, of Dana White privilege. Mm-hmm. They wanted this guy to win a championship. They made it happen. They, they handcuffed Aljamain Sterling and said, you got to fight in August. Yep. We're not, you're not, not even, never mind three weeks later. No, mm-hmm. no, no. You got to do it now. And guess when the last time Sean O'Malley fought was? He didn't, he hasn't fought. That's a year or something. Oh like my, that. it's, it's nearly a year. I yeah. think his last fight, and I wrote it down here somewhere if I can find it. Oh, where is it here? It was at the end, towards the end of last year. I think it was yeah. October. Yeah, nuts. I, Crazy. Uh, yeah, I, I saw the images of this guy floating around. And again, it, it just, it goes to, I think, part of this. Now, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on this. And I'm not going to say boxing doesn't do chicanery because we know there's definitely chicanery going on in all fight, fight sports. But 
this is what I long for is not this. I want the feel of a guy who boxing people or MMA people have talked up and the purest love. And it's like he has this illustrious track record and I could go back and watch all these great finishes against established people. And then you build up like Canelo Alvarez, right? Like he feels like a big name in boxing to me. There were three or four Canelo fights that were coming around. And I go, yeah, okay. And then like the Triple G one came along and it's like, ah, okay. I've heard about these guys. And this is the problem with it is that it does feel so manufactured that you like, again, a guy like Bones Jones, who again, like we don't need to go in all the other stuff with him, but that felt organic, a rise, a super a borderline supernatural rise through the sport. And it is what drives me insane about combat sports. And it's why I think it doesn't have the feel. Now, again, I love to play this game always. Was it better or were you now it's normally 12, but with the UFC, it's like, were, were you 20, right? It's like, there will always be a perfect time in your life for all this stuff. But I also think that there's just not the stars, like the GSP, the, all those guys, right? And I know he did a grappling thing and JD did the pod with them. And I understand that, but it just, it doesn't have the same cachet, the same star power that it, it feels like it did. Even like, I mean, I think back to Pacquiao Mayweather, right? Like that was a, I remember it was a day. It was like the Kentucky Derby and the Mayweather yeah, fight the were that day. night. And it was like, this is the greatest sports day of my life. And I don't even really care about either of these things. And that's how awesome it was. So it's just it, that that point that you just made, the whole twists and turns just hammers home my frustration with, with be it UFC, be it oh, MMA, it whatever, yeah. boxing, all of it. I'll lump it all together. There's two sides to the coin. One is, yes, you need stars in those sports to attract fans and to get the eyeballs i get that yep. right and, and also this a big loss for the ufc was this was supposed to be the conor mcgregor card this was mm. supposed to be conor mcgregor What's Michael Chandler. well well you know what there's a whole usada thing happening okay. and they're not sure if he's if he entered the pro the portal properly and if he's actually like you have to wait 16 months but from the moment you re-enter usada right. till you can fight again and there was some issue with that okay. so they had the whole tough finale happen on saturday two yep. fights happen and then this was supposed to be the the re- attraction was supposed to be Chandler and right. McGregor and they weren't on the card and so then how did they replace it well that's oh, why they fast tracked right. this okay, that right sense. that's why they wanted to fast track this because it was a big card for them in Boston yeah. huge arena well, of show course right they wanted it McGregor then, exactly of course, right so so instead what's the next best thing we get Sean O'Malley and we get a championship around his waist I did see some guy from Montreal wearing a Nick Suzuki Habs jersey uh, for, for part of the card or like the run up to it so just shout out to that guy all right shout out to him uh, adopted Canadian, I guess, won the tough finale, by the way. Okay. Um, the guy's from Alberta, but he lives in the UK now, but he is technically born from okay. in Alberta, and he hey. won the tough finale. Yeah, him and William Nylander, same guy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly the same. I don't think William Nylander could win the tough finale. No, I don't think so. I think he'd, I think he'd, I think he'd, tap, he'd say, I, I don't need one. I don't think he'd walk in. He'd, he'd just, just say, yeah, sure. he'd yeah, actually, he'd be like, hey, you want to do tough? He'd be like, I do not. I don't want yeah. to do anything <laughs> tough ever, actually. And I'm a Willie guy, so don't come at me, okay? Uh, I'm going to give a winner. We can bounce back to losers yeah, if we'll you'd like. People were upset about the negativity no no we got winners i'm gonna go baseball these one-off games you know nhl has had them with the heritage whatever they call them outdoor games it's like we roll our eyes at them but it's not for 
us. It's for the people who are involved in it in the moment. But I will say this one does have great visuals. MLB did their Little League Williamsport game. And a lot of times I roll my eyes at this stuff. Like some, like the 300,000th time I saw the video of Bryce Harper in the stands clapping, I'm like, okay, like he's there. What else is he supposed to do? I'm not like, I'm not going to give him too much credit for that. But the guys all leaned into it. They had one player who used a bat that looked like a pencil. A guy had one that looked like a crayon. Bryce Harper had like a green Philly fanatic bat. And it's like, I'm very old school with my stuff. I don't want to see that all the time, but I think these one-off games where you lean into whatever it is, they obviously went the exact opposite route. Was it two years ago with the field of dream games with the Yankees and everything and the white Sox? I think it was yep. like, what an awesome game that was. How cool did that look? And it's, I think sometimes we get so bogged down in this that we think of these events like the Super Bowl. It's like, well, I wasn't that compelled. It's like, you're not, it's, again, it's not for you. You're supposed to see a visual pop up on Instagram or on your phone or the highlights look great. And everybody who's there watching the game, I'm sure it was really special to them in person. But I just think these one-off games can come across so kind of hokey at times. And I'm sure maybe to some people that one did, but I just loved everything about it. So kudos to Major League Baseball, Little League World Series, and everybody involved there. I'm a uh, Actually, one thing though, don't, I know I'm sure it's probably close. Maybe not the Nationals. Maybe some team that's half decent <laughs> to my NFL that's, point. That's fair. I, I I am I am a sucker for those games. Yeah. I do like all those stuff. It's the the little pa- the pageantry of it, the 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 special, the unique features. And mm-hmm. you brought up the the Field of Dreams game. There's an, that's the there, best one. That, that one's so cool. There is not there isn't one this year because and I just looked this up. Construction at Field of Dreams apparently. So okay, they're I guess. building it. And they I guess will go. There, there you go. So they're going to be they're going to go again. I would imagine at some point. But I do like that the little league game is cool. I, I'm a big fan of that. I had a friend yesterday uh, met and send a text saying, "Hey, do you think they paid those guys to constantly say, oh, great seeing the kids?'" <laughs> I was like, "You know what? Maybe, maybe, maybe." But it's still it's still really cool. I I do like the sentimentality of it. So I'm a big fan. Uh, another winner a winner for me. Women's soccer. Mm. Okay, women's soccer. Spain wins the Women's World Cup yesterday. They take down England 1-0. And my big winner here is the sport as a whole because there's a lot of parity to like. There's a lot of parity. The United States didn't make the, the at least the semifinals the first time in the history of this tournament that they were not involved in the Final Four. And if you look at the Final Four teams, it was Australia, it was Sweden, mm-hmm. it was Spain and England. The amount of talent on these teams was truly, truly remarkable. The level of soccer and the quality of play was really high level, and it was a lot of fun to watch, especially as it started to dwindle down towards the final, you know, medal stage games. Was a ton of very competitive and a lot of fun, and just the overwhelming support that from the from the fans and the people mm-hmm. who went and, and 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 attended these games. They had more than seventy five thousand people go and watch the final yesterday, which is remarkable. Over one point nine million total fans attending games during the tournament. So awesome tournament, awesome story, and a big win for Spain. Their first time ever winning a major women's tournament, and they did it on the biggest stage. So kudos to them, and kudos to women's soccer for putting on an incredible tournament. Uh, We all saw the graphic going around at the beginning of that tournament with all the great nicknames, so shout out to La Roja, the red one. Oh, that's a great one. That's a good one. That's That's a a really good one. I still go Matildas as the best. That was really really good, but uh, thoroughly enjoyed that. So yeah, uh, shout out there. I will say... uh, 
I would have liked England to have come out on top just to watch the uh, just the the politics of that country uh, rip its parts <laughs> to shreds. As the men have not done that, they uh, have not done that. Have no. they ever done that? Never. There's uh, uh, oh there's my like goodness, hundred years ago they do something uh, in the fifties. Like there was a guy named 60, George Best. Sixty six. Okay. Sixty six. They won it in nineteen sixty six. Okay. So I just I would have kind of liked to have seen all the uh, the internal ripping apart and arguing happening over mm-hmm. there. But otherwise, uh, shout out, kudos there. I will uh, I'll give another positive uh, as well. Uh, gonna give a like group in three golf positives. Victor Hovland, uh, you got you come in in 28 to win the FedEx Cup or, or the uh, the tournament, the BMW Championship, puts himself in an awesome spot heading into East Lake, uh, and then just shout out Nick Taylor, Corey Connors. Got a couple of Canadians yeah. who made it to the final there. That really really sets him up in an awesome spot. Just getting to the BMW in and of itself puts you in a great position. But obviously those guys are in all the majors now. They're going to be in all the elevated events as well. And not that either of them would have been struggling without the year they've had, but just awesome for Canadian golf. You had five guys qualify for the playoffs and two of them make it all the way to the tour final. So awesome for those guys. Uh, And and Victor Hovland talk about the round yesterday, nine under 61. He had seven birdies on the back nine, Unreal, just an unreal round. And he came from four back. He came from four back and it was like Scotty Scheffler, Matt Fitzpatrick. It's just an incredible win. So uh, good on Victor Hovland Uh, winner. Anthony Edwards, mm. okay, Ant, the Ant-Man, oh, okay. he's ready to take okay. a big leap forward here, okay? He absolutely exploded. Him, Tyrese Halliburton. I haven't Austin seen him Reeves look that were... good since he was up in uh, my man Hernan Gomez's face. That was the last time I saw him look that good. Oh, yeah, when he yeah. baptized him. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, it's, no, no, no. He's he, he was phenomenal. 34 points was awesome, and... There's a little bit of a positive here, just a just oh, a okay. modicum of positivity for the for the Canadians oh, too. Oh, okay. Because Team USA, that Germany team, yeah. is pretty darn good. Yeah. They they actually Dennis have Schroeder on it. They, they're you know oh and boy did he look slippery and good yesterday too. Actually, sixteen and ten, uh, he was very good. playing for his country. Oh my god, yeah, right, wild. The idea, oh my goodness, the, the concept. <laughs> no, but the, him and the the Wagner brothers looks great. Nonetheless. They needed, they, they had to come back. They were trailing by 16. They come back. They win that game, the United States yesterday beating Germany. But it's positive for Canada because they beat Germany once and they also lost to them and they played two pre-tournament games. And it's always tough yep. to judge with the international teams. How good are they? Whatever. You look at the names yeah, yeah. on the roster for Germany and be like, okay, they're okay. They're okay, but they're actually a lot better than yeah. that. They play really good basketball. And so it's actually good news for Canada because it shows that they're close. It yep. shows that they're in that realm of being with those teams where they need to be. And Anthony Edwards is the biggest winner because he looked like that. W- he's ready to be to take that extra step forward to being a superstar. Yeah, yeah. LeBron co-signing him on on Twitter, oh, tweeting about how excited he KG was. KG yeah, was yeah. like pumping his tires. Yeah. yeah, it was cool. That is that's awesome to see. And man, it's it's so funny with KG, right? Like he feels like he threaded the needle perfectly. That he is still like Mister Minnesota, but he got to have everything in Boston and the run. It was yep. never seen as like because he didn't like he, he didn't pull a Lillard or whatever. Like it was just he really is uh, threaded the needle so perfectly. I'm happy you brought that up. And the other part of this, you'll you'll be someone good to ask about this is that we're like, obviously we would love Canada to win the world cup, but like, we're really cheering for America. Cause then we can get three <laughs> FIBA or three America spots out of the qualifications. Right. Yeah. That's my understanding. Yeah. So if it basically the three, and again, I'm sure as, as soon as I say this, some team that's ranked beneath Canada will come and make their lives very difficult. But the three teams that are the two teams that Canada has to worry about are Brazil and the States. They're ranked ahead of them. 
if both of them qualify as non-winners of this tournament, then Canada will have to go into the Olympic qualifying tournament, and we've done that dance before, and it'll be with none of these yeah. guys who, who yeah. are here. So uh, basically, if Canada can't win, you want Brazil or America to win because then that opens up a third qualification spot uh, to come out of the tournament for the Americas. So a little confusing, but that's that's important to home. This is the one where, you know what, we've been cycling through this. It just seems like consistently. This is the tournament where you're like, Enough of the excuses. I can't have Thomas Saransky rip my heart no, out. No, no, we happen cannot again. have that happen. We can't. We cannot afford. And if it is, just and if there's going to be a heart heart wrenching moment, let it be somebody of real substance. Like let it be one of those. I don't want to see like to your point, yeah. the Czech Republic again exactly. doing it with guys that are playing men's league at the age of forty <sighs> and they're out there just cooking you because they know how to play the FIBA game. Yeah, that's the big thing with with the Canadians in particular is it just felt like they don't know how to play the FIBA game. They open on Friday against France, which will be a great test because that French team is big and strong and athletic. So, look, I just hope we're not in a position where we have to be sitting here saying, well, let's let's go get them for the qualifier yeah. last chance again. Yeah, we're I, cheering on the Scrub Brothers exactly. and everybody. And like, exactly. no shots to the no, Scrub Brothers. No. Love everything they've done. Love that they always show up for the country, but do not want to be leaning on them in these massive moments. And, God, that... That World Cup or Olympic qualifier is such a dark Canadian sports moment. Like, that is one that lives still with me to this day. And I'm, you know, it's front of mind because we're thinking about it right now. Uh, I'll sneak in quick two yeah, more from baseball. Sure. Gunnar Henderson, you were the one who brought this Gunner. up. You, you say it. You brought it up to me. You, you give the Gunner Gunner Henderson. Gunnar Henderson was uh, a single away from the cycle yesterday. Yeah. His last at bat, he's up there and he hits a ball down the right field line and decides instead of stopping at first, he trots in a second with a double and his dugout was losing their mind, <laughs> but he gave up the cycle yeah. to get an extra double. I have him as a winner there for that. Yeah. Do you, you as like, well? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I right. like it. And I think, you know what? He should get credit for the cycle because yes. he, you know what? He still got the extra base. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, he could have had not? the single. Exactly. I'm there with you. Uh, last one I'll throw in for winners, but it's a, uh, it's like we, People don't want to hear me talk about this too much. It's Julio, Julio Rodriguez. Oh. He might just never stop being the best player in the game. Eight-game hit streak now, 22 hits in that span. Seven of them have been for extra bases. Just one knock yesterday, though, so kind of a slouch day at the plate for him. Uh, those M's, they are scary, scary. And as you said, it is a cupcake walk for them uh, the rest <laughs> of the way. The Blue Jays, they do not have a cupcake sked ahead of them, at least not for the next three games. That's against the Baltimore Orioles. Massive, massive set. Who better to set it up for us than the man, Buck Martinez. Buck joins us next on the Fan Morning Show with Brenton Danielli on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.